You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. This morning we're going to be in John, um, John chapter 2, uh, right at the beginning, verse 1. We're going to go verses 1 through 12, um, which is the wedding at Cana. Uh, very popular verse. Most people know it. It's uh, the first miracle that we see here in John, um, Jesus turning the water to wine. Uh, so we're going to take a look at it. But besides just being memorable because it's the first miracle, and when most people, even those who aren't very biblically versed or people who don't go to church very often, know Jesus turned water to wine, right? It's one of the most famous kind of miracles uh, connected with Jesus. There's also three really good points that we're going to touch on today that come off of this miracle, right? This was not a miracle that Jesus did just so people could see the power he had. It wasn't something he did just so the party could go on, right? There was a much deeper meaning behind it, and there's things connected to this that we're going to take a look at. Um, It's also one of the first contrasts that we see in John. Um, Jesus, there's a, there's a number of contrasts that Jesus point out. Um, here we see a contrast between the old ways and old ways that people sanctified and purified and the, the blood of Christ and how Christ was going to do this for people and save them. Um, after this, we see a contrast between the temple and between the body of Christ, um, which he points out in the next passage that Sean will be doing next week. Um, my mind's on that because I got kind of tilted. Um, I got a chance to teach at youth group earlier this week, and it was that passage. So I was ahead, and now I'm jumping back a passage. So we'll see. Um, so we're going to start by looking at this um, right into the, in, right in the chapter, um, John chapter 2, right on verse 1. Um, and it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So the first point that we're going to take a look at here is this kind of lays the foundation for us to make our requests to God. Mary, although it says right here just the mother of Jesus, but we know it to be Mary, Right? Mary makes a request of Jesus. Uh, it's interesting that the way that John writes in his gospel, John never actually mentions Mary as Mary in his gospel. It's always the mother of Jesus. Um, but obviously we know they're one and the same, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and so the first thing we see here is that Mary comes to Jesus with a response. They're at this large wedding, um, and they run out of wine. And so she comes to him and asks, you know, basically says to him, there's no more wine, knowing that he might be, that he could take care of this. Um, So let's look at his response, right? Before we look at the words he uses, because they can, I think, sometimes be misinterpreted a little bit, we have to keep in mind Jesus' mindset, right? If you look, if you remember back in Luke 2, when Jesus was a young boy, he was 12, um, it was the... It was not necessarily an an ideal parenting strategy, but Mary and Joseph had forgot Jesus. They thought he was in the group, and they left Jerusalem, and then realized a day out that they forgot him back in Jerusalem. Um, And so they went back to get him, and they found him in the temple with the priests talking about Scripture. Right, And when um, they basically were so worried about him, and they came up to him, and he reassured them, and he said, 
don't you know I must be about my father's house? Or in some translations, he says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Right? So that was Jesus' mindset. He was always about the business of the father. And it's even in his response here, that's his mindset. Right? When he says to Mary, you know, when he responds to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Right? He's not being rude or sarcastic. It's kind of, we could make that mistake because we could look at it through our own mindset, right? And if your mom, when you were younger, or if your kids, if it was their turn to take out the trash, and you said, hey, you know, the trash is overflowing, and they said, woman, what does that have to do with me? Right? We may not look at it as a positive response. <laughs> uh, we might be like, what do you mean, what does that have to do? Take out the trash, it needs to get done, right? But that's not what we're, what we're seeing here. Um, the reason that he mentions this, right, he's asking Mary, what does this have to do with me? Jesus knows. But like a lot of times that we see in Jesus' teaching, Jesus is asking questions of the people around him to see what they know and then to use it as a teaching opportunity. Right, so he's asking her, what does the fact that we're out of wine have to do with me? There's more to this question than even Mary knows. Um, God knows our true needs, and often we do the same thing. We often ask for things in prayer that we think we need, but God knows what we really need, and that's how he answers prayer. right? And I often tell people this. One of the things that, that's kind of a... Um, one of the things that I always kind of think about is uh, when we do prayer, right, we should never do prayer like God's a genie and he's going to answer wishes, right? When we lift up prayer, we lift up our needs, we lift things on our minds, the things on our hearts, but we always do it in a way that we know God is going to answer in the best way for us. God's going to answer with his will and for his plan for us, knowing the best thing for us, right? And Jesus answers this in the same way because Jesus sees this situation a little differently than Mary does. Um, wine was a symbol, especially in Jewish tradition here. Wine is a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of celebration. And at a holy day or a holy celebration like marriage, wine is a symbol of sanctification. So Mary looks out and sees the wine is gone and is concerned that the, it's going to affect the wedding, it's going to affect the party. Jesus looked out over a crowd of people who needed to be sanctified, but were never going to be sanctified by the methods that were there. Wine was never going to sanctify these people. He's looking at a group of people at a wedding that are lost. They need to be saved from sin. They need to be purified. And the traditional methods that they're locking themselves onto are never going to do it. So that's what it has to do with Jesus. Because he is the only way that he can sanctify, that he can purify these people. And he knows that. And there's a definite connection there, because what's the next thing he says? My time has not yet come. Right Now we know, looking back, Jesus had foresight. He knew what was coming. He knew when his time was going to be. We have the option of hindsight. We know the Gospels. We've read them. We know what happens. And we know that when he's saying this, he's referring to his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection. 
His time hadn't come yet. But he still utilizes this as a teaching moment when he turns this water to wine. Mary asked, and Jesus knew what the real need was for these people. And he knew that it was going to be fulfilled. Not through the wine, not through the, you know, the traditions of washing or any of the things that the Jews had, but through his sacrifice. He knew that that was the way that they were going to be sanctified and purified. Jesus was showing people that God always knows our true need. True need. And so when we ask, when we make our requests to God, we should know that even if we don't know what we really need, God does. Right? And sometimes it's not what we were expecting. Right? When I was a young man, my late teens, early 20s, um, I reached a point where uh, I needed money. <laughs> I had not been budgeting well. I didn't know much about budgeting. I had just gotten my own finances, kind of getting out from under my parents. Um, and I blew a lot of money. And I got a credit card, which is not a great idea, right? But as a young person, I thought, this means I'm an adult, right? And you would be surprised how easily credit cards want to give themselves to people who are 19 and 20 years old. Um, got a credit card, and I used up everything that was on that. And I was just, I was spending like I was, you know, the, the biggest, I was Nelson Rockefeller. Um, I, or at least I thought, right? Nelson Rockefeller with a, you know, minimum wage job. And so I was spending above my means, and I'm blowing money. So I went to my parents, um, who I knew I could always count on, and I said, hey, I need some money. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of in a jam. I need money to be able to pay my bills. I've been using the money for stuff other than bills, right? And then the bills came, and I kind of freaked out. And I said, I need money for bills. And my mother said, well, we'll help you out, but before we do that, you need to sit down with us and show us all your bills and your budget, and we need to go over a budget together. It's not the answer I wanted, right? I was just like, well, just give me the money and I can pay my stuff, right? But my mother knew that my real need was I needed to learn how to run my finances. I needed to learn how to budget. I needed to learn how to control my finances, or I was going to be in the same problem again two months later. Right? It didn't solve the problem by being handed a lot of cash. The real problem I had was that I didn't know how to manage my money. And so her answer to me was based on the fact that she knew what I needed, even though I didn't really. Now, my mother is not nearly as knowledgeable as God, by any means. Um, don't tell her I said that. But... <laughs> She's not knowledgeable, as knowledgeable as God by any means, right? But it's a, good, it's a good example of how our parents, and especially God in heaven, our Father, right? He knows what's best for us, even when we don't. Very often we ask for things that we don't know, that we, we think we need at the time, and God answers in a way that provides what we really need. Um, and this happens here. Mary asked Jesus, we're out of wine, and Jesus uses this opportunity as a teaching moment. He does provide the wine, but he also uses it in a way that um, it will teach a, a, a lesson that's going to impact everybody. Um, we need to make sure that we raise up our challenges to God in prayer, even if we're not sure what they are. God, our Father, knows what we truly need, and he provides. 
just as Jesus does here in the passage. The second point that Jesus has right off these same, the same verses right here, um, of one, 1 through 5, is prioritizing the kingdom. Jesus shows us that he's prioritizing the kingdom here. Um, the Lord's Prayer states, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' hour had not yet come. He answered that right there when he was talking to Mary. We know from later in the Gospels that Jesus was speaking, like I mentioned before, suffering, death, and resurrection. Jesus was not concerned about the party. Right? Jesus, his main priority here was not making sure that this was the talked about event of the year to come. And everybody goes, oh, you remember that wedding? That thing was awesome. It wasn't really his main priority here. Um, he went to the wedding. I'm sure he had joined the party. But his mind was always on the work of God the Father. And this is a good example for us because Jesus shows us that you can, go, you can be in life and you can go on with other, with other things that come up, but you can always still prioritize the, prioritize the kingdom. Right? Jesus did not decide not to go to the wedding. He was invited to the wedding, and he, brought, he went himself, and he brought his disciples with it. His, his mom went. His, his siblings went. Right. This was a wedding that probably, we don't know the situation, but the way it was run back that, during this time in Jewish tradition, it was probably a close family friend or maybe even a family relative of some sort. Jesus goes to the wedding, and he's having fun. Right. He's part of, this, of the wedding process, but he's always keeping in mind God's plan. And when this situation comes up with the wine, he utilizes it to further God's kingdom. Even when he addresses his, the issue his mom brings to him, he uses it to glorify God and the plan for salvation. He was setting into motion this plan of salvation, and he uses it to kind of foreshadow it for everyone. In our everyday lives, do we make the work of God's kingdom our priority? As we go about the, the schedules we have set for ourselves during the day, right? Work, um, chores, right? Errands we have to run, sports, right? All these different things that we're doing in our lives. As we go about them, do we keep in mind the prioritization of God's kingdom, of God's plan? I'm not saying to live for Jesus that you have to be a hermit locked away in a cabin. Right? In fact, right here we see the opposite. Right? Jesus is not locked away in a cabin in a cabin as a hermit. He's out amongst the people doing everyday things like going to a wedding. But during that he was prioritizing God's kingdom and God's plan. He was celebrating an important event for a friend or a family member uh, and having a good time. I mean, he was at the wedding. He's, you know, enough that his mom was able to come up and say, hey, we're out of wine, right? And this was not like, oh my gosh, well, we got to pull up enough wine to last for another hour or two, All right? Weddings in the Jewish custom at this time lasted several days, right? This was like a week-long event that was put on by the bride's family. So any of you that have daughters, imagine that, right? You have to pay for the wedding. It's a week long, 
right, event, and you have to make sure that there's enough food and wine and the events are going on and music and everything else. It's a very large event. Um, and so he's taking place in that as well. He's there to celebrate with his, with his friends, with his family. But he was always thinking of an opportunity to glorify God. He was always looking for that opportunity. How do I make that connection? Right? And this actually kind of connects to the video we saw, right? Missions are not run in a tunnel. Right? You can't do missions and reach people with the gospel of the Lord if you're sitting in a group of people that are saved already. Right? You have to get out into the world. You have to reach people that haven't been there. You have to go out and do other things and reach other people and visit other places in order to have the opportunity to spread the gospel. And so here, Jesus is doing that same thing, and the opportunity does present itself when his mother comes to him and says, Hey, we're out of wine. And so we pick up in verse 6 here. Now there were six stone water jars that were there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast in these days was someone who was appointed by the family. Um, they were normally... Um, a close friend or usually a relative. Um, and it's a position of honor, but it was also kind of like a wedding planner. They appointed someone from their family or a close friend, and that person was in charge of, during this entire week-long event, making sure everything went well. They were in charge of the seating, making sure that the food was all done correctly. So they were sort of like an honored guest slash wedding planner all wrapped into one. And so Jesus says, Dip some of this, you know, put the water in the, in the, the stone um, jars used for Jewish purification. Dip in and bring it to the master of the feast, who's in charge of everything. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So this was the opportunity that Jesus utilizes here. And what we see here is the third point. Purification only comes through Jesus. Jesus could have chosen any containers. He could have said, bring the wine bottles all back and fill them up with water. He could have said, grab jugs from the other room. He could have said, grab the you know, pots that are laying around um, in, the, in the kitchen, anything. Um, but he had them get the jars for purification. By themselves, they were nothing but containers for water. Traditionally, they were used by the Jews to cleanse themselves before the meal, especially on a high holiday or a, um, 
an event like this, like a wedding, to purify themselves and cleanse themselves. They were used to wash their hands. They were used to wash the utensils, everything that was going to be utilized in this. Just as Jesus replaces the water in these jugs with wine, Jesus replaces the temporary ritual method of purification for eternal sanctification. This is Jesus saying, okay, this was the old method of doing things. Now I've come and this is going to be, this is, the new method is me. Jesus died and when he was resurrected as the ultimate sacrifice for all of us, he became the ultimate way of sanctification and purification instead of those old rituals. This is further exemplified through the statement of the master of the feast. Right? It's not just a compliment. We see the master of the feast says, most use the good wine first. They put out their best wine, and once everybody's had a few, it's a little tougher to tell what the wine is once you've started drinking some, then they slip the poor wine in. It doesn't cost as much. He says, but you didn't do this. Right? He said, you kept the good wine for last. The law was given for us, for us first. Right? The law was given for us to teach us um, about the need for atonement and for the need for salvation. The law was put up for us to realize that here are all the rules and all the things that we're supposed to follow to be godly, and through our best efforts, we can't. There's no way we can do all of it. And that showed us the need for Jesus. Because we can't do all these things, because we by ourselves could not be perfect in God's eyes, we needed our Savior. We needed Jesus to come and be the sacrifice we couldn't do. After we had this law, Jesus came after that to give his life and to rise again, defeating death, to allow us to have eternal life with God. In the words of the master of the feast, the best wine was saved for now. We have the benefit of hindsight, of course, knowing the gospel story. We know now that this is what happened. Jesus' plan all along, God's plan all along, was for Jesus to come to be sat, to sacrifice himself for our sins, for our transgressions, right? So that we could be purified and sanctified. Jesus saw the real need of the people that he looked upon that night. When Mary came in and said, there's no more wine, Jesus looked out upon the people and saw that it wasn't wine that they needed, it was salvation. And he was going to provide it. The Bible tells us that anyone who believes in Jesus and follows him will have eternal life with God in heaven. Do you have faith in that right now? There are many of us, many people out here, who are still empty vessels waiting to be filled by Jesus. Just like Jesus filled and turned the water to wine. If you haven't committed yourself fully to Jesus or you don't really understand what that means, and there may be people out here, I'm not calling anyone out, but we all know, you know, each one of us know kind of where our heart is at. But if you, have, if you feel you haven't committed your life to Jesus, 
that you haven't accepted Him and really know in your heart that because of Jesus, you're going to heaven. Or you don't even know what that really means completely, right? Find myself or Pastor Dan after church and have a talk with us. Next week, Pastor Sean will be back as well. Talk with Pastor Sean if you'd like. But the three of us are always here. Find one of us and talk about that so that we can help you to kind of figure out what that means and to understand and to accept Jesus into your life so that he can, you, so that you can understand and that he can be the one who sanctifies and purifies you. Not any of those old traditional elements, right? There's nothing we can do that can make us be able to go to heaven, right? We can't be good enough. We can't do enough um, ceremonial things. We can't check enough boxes on a list. At the end, it's only Christ that can do that for us. Jesus used the turning of water into wine to foreshadow the sacrifice that he was going to make, the ultimate purification. And later at the Last Supper, he used wine again to represent the shedding of his blood for everyone so that sins could be forgiven. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together.